Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, it's always good to have a guest on and um, a frequent guest of ours, been on a few times. We've got Jonathan Bell. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Melinda. And uh, yeah, welcome, Jonathan. This time, Jonathan is representing his business under a new brand. And we're going to hear all about the um, the new brand at the end of this episode, because um, you will recognize Jonathan's voice, uh, voice uh, from previous podcast episodes because he shared his intel with our audience on a number of occasions. Um, and their company has been through a big rebrand. So super excited to hear about that as well, Jonathan. Yeah, looking forward to chatting about it. So it's, it's always good to get a bit of a, a different voice um, and, and to get a different sort of um, play on the market and obviously the rental side of things. Um, it's been pretty crazy out there how um, people have been lining up, people paying over, um, properties unavailable, vacancy rates are, are super low. Um, we do a lot of work here at Streamline Property Buyers with um, investors and obviously they fall into that space as well. So Having someone like yourself, Jonathan, it's always handy to um to get that so the investors get a bit of a feel of what's going here on in sunny Brisbane. Yeah, what, absolutely. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Jonathan, what what are you finding? Because we are finding on the sales and purchasing side between the end of 22 and the beginning of 2023, there's there's been a shift. What are you finding in the property management space? Yeah, it's been a um crazy three years you've had the floods you've had COVID you've had the building crisis there was the mold epidemic um the rental crisis with vacancy rates so there's it's been a uh, there's been a magnitude of things that have happened over the last three years and I think in 2023 for the first time in a long time um it started to normalize um migration isn't as big as it was um vacancy rates are steady um below one percent so I think finally it's like a little bit of time to breathe where um, we're not seeing these incredibly crazy results, but we're also seeing the market continuing to thrive um, under its current conditions. Gee, you brought back some memories there. I know, <laughs> traumatic ones. <laughs> it seems like a long, long time ago. And, and you know, 12 months ago we had floods in Brisbane. Um, COVID was, was around everywhere. I even forgot about the mold, actually, to be honest. Um, but things like that, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, Probably not great memories. And obviously memories how, how crazy the market was, um, as you said. And now, it, yeah, it's probably normalised, as you said. I agree. So, yeah. And sorry. It's been, really, it's been really good to see, like, it's not because of all these crazy um, events that have happened, we haven't seen a backwards trend at all. It's still maintained its current status. So which I think continues to show that with the vacancy rates the way that they are, um, I think that it's normalised but also um, a really strong rental market for investors. So are you still seeing people line up, you know, for open homes when you were advertising up property for rent around the city? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's still really, really strong. As vacancy rates are less than 1%, there's not enough investment properties for tenants. Um, we're just not seeing an example of one this time last year was a property we have advertised for twelve fifty, and we ended up getting sixteen fifty because the insurance company were paying for the property um, because uh, because they had nowhere to live. So things like that are obviously not happening, but we're still getting the asking price, if not more, and people are still lining up. 
Let's talk about that. Um, I think you've highlighted or raised a really good point. Um, and this can happen in the rental market just as much as it can happen in, in the sales market. Overinflated prices because of conditions on the ground at a particular point in time. And you mentioned a property there that um, achieved a huge uplift in the rent achieved. And that was off the back of the flood event because you mentioned it was an insurance um, claim. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And also because vacancy rates are so low, they had no options. So that was the only property in the location they had to live that was available. So so that's a, a big market event, um, a, a significant weather event that displaced a lot of people throughout Brisbane. And so we saw a very short and sharp um, increase in demand for rental properties in the immediate weeks following that flood event. So we also saw a lot of rental properties that were available for rent no longer be habitable. So, you know, we saw vacancy, um, you know, plummet simply because a lot of properties that were previously rental properties could no longer be rented. So we saw this significant shift, I guess, in what, what the number of properties available, but also the demand for people fighting out over a smaller volume of properties. So you were achieving some really significant results for for property investors that that had flood free properties that um that people were relocating to because of the heightened demand off the back of a weather event. Yeah, exactly. And we had we had investors that were getting six to seven percent yields over the last 12 months because of that overinflated pricing. So you know they were getting commercial um, rents for residential property. Um, but obviously that that's not that was just a, a one-off rare occasion, but you can't obviously sustain that. Of course. So are you um or were you finding just anecdotally that a lot of those overinflated prices were being paid by the insurance companies of people that were, you know, having to relocate temporarily? Yes, yes. And then you'd have the rare occasion where there's someone relocating that needed a six-month lease before they bought or they were relocating from interstate or overseas where they genuinely had no other options yeah. and they were well, willing to pay well above um, the asking rent to be able to secure those properties. But there's not that same urgency now as there was. So, so John, if, if it's not that urgent now and and you're saying it's a bit more normal, are we seeing tenants' expectations and landlords' expectations start to close that gap and Landlords not thinking they're going to get a really, really high amount and pushing and asking for an overinflated amount. And in the same with the tenants. So we're seeing the tenants sort of meet that market as well when it comes to the rental side of things. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, tenants have definitely over the last 12 months understood the rental markets increasing, cost of living in, in everything has increased, including rents. So we're not getting as much pushback from tenants. They're willing to pay the price for renewals. Um, we uh, 12 months ago, we would say, hey, there's a 10% increase in your rents and they're used to a $10 increase, not 10%. So there'd be a lot of kickback from them. But then what they would do is go to the realestate.com and domain and look for a new property and realize that all the rents are higher. So they'd come back to us two weeks later and say, actually, we will sign. Now we're just finding that tenants are wanting to stay, sign 12 to 24 month leases to secure the property and and I think I spoke about this last time, like tenants trying to do two-year leases because they're trying to not have an increase in, in price for those two years, which is quite smart on their behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, and our feedback to owners off the back of that is, I believe 12-month leases are sufficient because it means we can continue to get rental increases over that period. 
That's interesting. So you did see a heightened um, number of tenants proposing a 24-month lease to avoid any, you know, 12-month hikes in, in rent. That's smart. And, and and if they broke their lease, then be able to re-rent it so easily because yeah. um, it's it's below market value when they re-let it. So, Jonathan, you mentioned that you are still seeing, you know, people, tenants line up to inspect rental properties when they become available. Um, obviously, when you're advertising a property for rent, there's a fixed um, amount per week that's advertised on on the real estate portals. Are you still seeing some tenants offer more than the advertised price or are they using some other form of incentive to put their application at the top of the pile for the landlord's consideration? Yeah, I think due to the cost of living and interest rates and and some of the sentiment in the market at the moment, people are a little bit more wary about the money that they're spending um, and that reflects on the rental market as well. So we are noticing a little bit of realigning expectations. Typically, someone who wanted to spend $2,000 a week on rent may now want to spend $1,750. And that that goes all the way down the market. And someone who said, I need a pool, is willing to go for the next 12 months without a pool Um, or ducted aircon to split system, like realigning those expectations. So I think that um, we are still getting people line up and um, offer the asking price, but they are a little bit more cautious about the money they're spending. Um, And I think that's across all, all markets. And I think previously we were seeing a lot of people um, offer six months payment in advance of rent or more. Is that still happening as well or is that pulled back because of affordability issues also? Yeah, it's a really good question. I actually haven't seen that this year. Um, I haven't, this year I have not seen someone offer. They're offering in advance, but not last year, then uh, six, 12 months in advance. I haven't seen that this year so far. Interesting. So becoming a more normal market and and the way a normal rental market would operate. Yep. So a little bit more affordable probably for people. And and some people, when you're saying they're adjusting their expectations, when the tenants are spending their money, uh, do you think they're probably tightening up the the pocket and saving that money a bit from going out and spending money to, to actually just getting a rental property to move into? Yeah, well, a really good client of mine on the Gold Coast is looking for a place for his daughter and he's looking for a unit at the moment and he's blown away. Like he can't find anything for his daughter. So that like, it depends what market you're talking about. I think that anything under $1,000 and especially townhouses and apartments at the moment are thriving. Like if you're looking for a four to $600 a week unit or townhouse, it, this will be the toughest market you've ever had. Uh, but if you're if you're speaking about an executive rental between fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a week, it might be a little bit more difficult because people are willing to spend uh, to have a little bit less and spend a little bit less, and they don't need the luxury of the um, the stunning house. So it depends on that market. So just just quickly on that, then now you're talking about the unit townhouse versus house sort of market. I know you say that um, the unit market and the townhouses, they're moving really fast and trying to get them as well. The high-end houses, what about the availability of those? So is when you look at availability for that high-end executive home, competitive availability of units, are, are both available or is there one's more than the other? Yeah, they're both really tight. I mean, vacancy rates across all of them are really, really tight. So no, there's not one product out in the market right now that is um, that there's a lot of supply of. Um, I think that they're all really tight. I think I say to owners with a property of $2,000 a 
a week or more, no matter how nice your house is, no matter how big it is, there's just not many people in the market who have $2,000 a week to spend in rent, no matter what you've got. Um, regarding the six to eight hundred or $400 to $800 market, there's a lot more tenants who are looking in that space. Um, so there's a lot more turnover. But any anything like we're not, we haven't had one sit on the market for, a, a, you know, for two years um, unless it's well overpriced. Yeah. It's interesting um, when you talk about the the change in in the demand for, for different product types. And a lot of that is potentially driven by affordability. Rents have increased so much in the last three years and especially in the last 12 months. And you mentioned that that more affordable segment of the market seems to have really strong demand. Um, we've reported in the podcast over previous weeks that shift in demand based on affordability for property buyers, where buyers are willing to make a compromise in how they live by looking at unit and townhouse style product over house style product to stay in locations where they're wanting to live. Do you think that that shift in affordability and that high demand in that that lower price point segment of the market is the result of a change in the shift of the product type that people are demanding? Yeah, definitely. I mean, young professionals now, um, I know four or five years ago, they would always want a house. And now young professionals are really happy with a townhouse or an apartment. It's a, I've seen a big shift. Um, you even look at the inner city ring, Hamilton and Newstead. Five years ago, you know, they were offering four weeks free rent to get tenants in there. And, and they're really, really tight markets now. So I think that um, yeah, uh, the young professionals and the younger generations are definitely leaning towards townhouses and apartments and also the older um, generations as well where they don't want the yard to look after, they don't need all of the um, the additional expenses to look after a house and they're happy to downsize. Um, and I think that's pretty reflective across the um, the sales market as well is that people are realigning those expectations and, and having living more of a lifestyle. Ooh, yeah, they, don't, they don't want to spend their weekends mowing lawns and... Keeping the place place tidy, but be able to go and have their coffees and live life. Yeah, exactly. And it's been it's been really encouraging to see that we haven't gone backwards in the housing market either. It just shows that the demand is continuing. Like it's not even though there's people shifting into those markets, we haven't seen a backward trend at all in the housing market either. And and also off the back of all the relocations, we've seen this huge influx of demand. But now that they're not, um, there's not as much of that demand from interstate, the market's still really strong. It's not like there's been any backward trend. So I think that's really encouraging for the investors out there. So from what you're saying within your agency, you've seen fewer applications um, from interstate tenants that are relocating. And when did you start observing that trend where the, the interstate inquiries started to drop away? Yeah, towards the back end of 2022. Okay. Um, and and not too much in um not very rare in 2023 so far interesting Uh, yeah that's something and and it's possibly too early to tell do you think that's a seasonal trend in that most people will make those moves at the beginning of the year in preparation for the school year and off the back of that question do you think that that's possibly going to change have you noticed any seasonal trend in past years for example I think that the interstate immigration has softened and I think it will continue to just stay steady from here because mm-hmm. um, typically this time last year we saw a huge influx um, of people wanting to move to Brisbane. So I think that it's, again, it's normalised, it's steady. There still is people migrating here but not those huge influxes that we saw. 
off the back of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Right, that makes perfect sense. When when you're renting properties out, Jonathan, obviously you do an appraisal um, on the property for for the landlords. When, yeah. when you're doing that range, are, are you seeing properties renting out within that range above it? I mean, I rarely probably below it. Yeah. <laughs> But how are you seeing that? Is, is it pretty consistent? Yeah, it's actually it's um it was really difficult last year to appraise properties because you didn't want to underprice them. Um, and I always said if you get if you get 30, 40 people at a house, you it's not that's not a really good work of the agent. That's probably because they've underpriced it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always said six to eight is probably a really good number because you're getting um, a good amount of people to get good quality applications, but also know that you've got the maximum yield. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, I think that, yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a good opportunity at the moment. Yeah. That's good to know. You mentioned that that a lot of the growth in terms of the demand has come over the last three years. I've just been looking at the vacancy rate trends in all of greater Brisbane and, and that period actually aligns with the point at which vacancy rates dropped below 3% citywide. Um, for those that listen to our podcast regularly, you'll know we often talk about a 3% vacancy kind of being a, a level market. There's an equal number of properties available as there are tenants looking. So anything less than 3% is a landlord's market where there's generally that upward pressure on rents. Um, and we've seen that trending down since 2019. So it's not a surprise when we're looking at the data to see that inverse relationship between the vacancy rate trend and the increase in the rental price with with the vacancy rate as tight as it is now and we're sort of trending sideways not up or down it will be interesting to see what happens to rents in the future because there's only so high rents can go and I think based on what you've said you know there's going to be a point in some areas especially where people can't afford to pay more for rent so there's going to be a cap on on what the market would be prepared to pay regardless of what the vacancy rate for a particular area would be. Do you agree with that? And what are your observations around different parts in Brisbane or different locations within Brisbane in relation to, to where the affordability caps might be? Yeah, I totally agree, Melinda. And I always think it would be fascinating um, in a decade's time to see what rents we'll be getting in the inner city ring. Um, and I, I'm not the right person to answer. I have no idea. But I just think that, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be really interesting over the next 10 years to see how high these rents can go, especially Windsor, Wilston, Ascot, Clayfield. Like, can they get the same rents as Sydney? Will that be up at, you know, a five bed, three bath? Will that be five, six thousand? I'm not sure. Mm. And it's it's an interesting um, observation. So we look in-house um, within our business of, of trends over the last 10 years. And actually one of the things we capture at a suburb level is the change in the amount of rent that is um, is achieved you know, in a particular suburb and the change that's happened over a 10-year period. And generally, um, those inner city locations have higher rental price growth than those locations that are a lot further out. And, you know, I've often attributed that in um, to the fact that people that are in areas that are more affluent, that therefore the, the demographic um, have generally higher incomes, can afford to pay more for rent and therefore we typically see stronger rental price growth in those areas where we've got capital growth drivers from a from a you know property growth perspective. Um, whereas in areas where you've got um, a lower socioeconomic um, group, people don't have higher incomes, they're going to hit those affordability caps much sooner, especially in an environment where we've got this high inflation and 
you know, interest rates are increasing. So it would be interesting and, and perhaps we have a conversation three years from now to reflect back on, you know, which areas you've observed, you know, have had the highest levels of growth and then how that relates to what we've seen in the data, because I think that there's going to be some interesting trends that emerge in terms of which areas reach their affordability cap sooner than others. Yeah. Um, you service, obviously, all of them, um, and we service, obviously, Greater Brisbane, Brisbane yeah. City Council, I should say. You service a lot of areas. Are you seeing different areas? I mean, we talk about location. So when we're buying property, we really talk about location and being specific on those locations. Are you seeing different sort of parts of the market in the rental now that things are starting to normalise a bit? Are you seeing that some areas are a lot more popular? Is it getting closer to the CBD? People, you, you touched on earlier about that lifestyle. Is that so much stronger compared to other areas? Yeah, well, it's been even, um, I remember speaking about Spring Hill when we were talking in COVID and we had a 20 to 40% drop when COVID hit because all the short-term rentals went into long-term. But then but then last year, that just got normalised. So it saw a massive increase to where it was. So that's normalised. So there was that. But then there was also the outer fringes like Griffin on the north side, those 20 to 30 kilometres, they went really, really strong last year because no one was building. Mm. Um, so there was like this huge influx. But I feel like those, like what Melinda said, those outer rings or those high-density, high-supply areas um, have a lot more ups and downs and then we've just seen over the last three years um, those inner city rings just go from strength to strength so mm -hmm. I think that um, it's a lot more temperamental in those and I've learned that over the last three years I think that even if the building constructions get um, easier than those areas like Griffin when all these houses are flooded into the area they'll probably see a drop again mm -hmm. uh, there's just no, there's no land in those inner city rings. So I can't see at all how those vacancy rates can increase. Yeah, it's only if there's there's more high density supply that, that comes to the market. And of course, we saw that in Brisbane um, back in 2016, we had a, a peak oversupply in the inner city unit market. And you referenced some of those inner city areas like New Farm, and then there was um, West End and, you yeah. know, Tuong, those sorts of locations had a huge rate of redevelopment and a lot of new stock just couldn't be sold um, and so it was put to the rental market and it couldn't be rented there wasn't that demand there and that's why there were so many incentives provided by developers just to get people in one month rent free I mean who wouldn't that appeal to yeah. um, you know especially if you're young and and professional with a job in the city living five minutes away sounds very convenient um, it will be interesting to see how the the trends you know change as the supply and, and the development pipeline in Brisbane changes. But as you've mentioned, in the inner city areas, there's there's no cranes in Brisbane at the moment to to be that are building these high density units. And the supply pipeline has dried up according to the building approvals and things like that. So um, it's a big uh, moving cog to see future supply and we're not seeing that anytime in the the near future certainly so things are looking bright for those that are already holding assets in those locations from a capital growth perspective but also from a rental growth perspective as well yeah I remember um seven years ago when I was um working for a developer and um we we got a rental lead for a apartment in Hamilton it was you would celebrate you would call them straight away you're like I'll, I'll see you there this afternoon so like one lead for a potential tenant was like the holy grail. Right. Um, it was literally free internet. It was four weeks free rent. We would furnish your apartment for 12 months if you needed. To see where it's gone from seven years ago to now is phenomenal. 
Yeah, there, there might be a few. I know you talk about future and looking ahead. Ten years' time, there might be a few units up around in Hamilton as well. When you um, when you talk about Hamilton, because that's where the Olympic Village will be, and there might be a few units coming up for rent down there. Then exactly, yeah. So so legislation changes. I know that this is something that's happened. Um, we've probably touched on. I think around the last time we even chatted, um, the changes have happened. Yeah, hasn't had an impact. I know there's things that have been change with pets and, and leasing arrangements and things like that. Can you give us a bit of an update on that and if there's been any effect? Yeah, yeah. It's like New Year's Eve. You get all this anticipation that it happens. You're like, oh, that wasn't as exciting as I thought. <laughs> um, but it's similar similar in regards to, like, nothing. The show goes on. Um, we haven't seen any impact to the um, to the new legislation changes. I think from an, our agency, we spend a lot of time making sure that everyone's on fixed-term leases. So if you're not on a fixed-term lease, it might be a different story, but there's not one property in our agency that's not on a fixed-term lease unless there's a, a, a reason and we've spoken to the owner about it. So that's probably the main thing is to ensure that your property manager is really on top of that. And if you go on a fixed, if you go from fixed-term to periodic and you don't want to sell or you don't want to do a major reno, you could have some trouble getting that tenant out of the property. That's good advice and I guess it leads me to another question I'd like to ask you because getting that sort of tailored advice um, as a landlord is really critical because it helps you to make decisions around the asset that you've purchased, um, you know, for your future. Um, I'm assuming when people reach out to you and they're, I guess, interviewing you and your business about property management services, there's questions that you would frequently get asked by uh, landlords uh, before they actually engage you as their property manager, what are some of the better questions that you um, hear those landlords asking that help to differentiate some property managers from others that are working in the industry? Because face value, we think property management, someone's going to look after my property, collect the rent, and I'll get paid. But there's going to be a lot more to it, and different agencies are going to offer a different level of service. What do you think are the questions that um, landlords need to be asking to draw out the information that's important for them to know? Yeah, I find it really interesting. And there's two types of investors and there's the ones who have had a property manager in the past and they may have not had the best experience. And then there's the investor whose first property or they haven't had a property manager where the the, the first investor I was speaking about, they apples and oranges. There's There's so different levels of service in property management. The other investor thinks it doesn't matter which property manager you use because they haven't had that experience in the past. Mm. Um, so the one I usually get the questions from investors who may have been burnt, who who know the importance of a really quality property manager. And I think probably the first one is around advertising. Um, there's a lot of different campaigns you can put. And I think the, the most important thing is finding a really good tenant. If you find a really good tenant, half the challenge is there. Um, and there's a premier listing, there's standard listings, there's domain there's all these other websites and when they say marketing's two hundred dollars three hundred dollars whatever it is really understanding what does that get you um because someone can say it's two hundred dollars for marketing well what marketing campaign am i getting um is a really important and understanding what listing you get with realestate.com how many open homes you're doing per week um and and also um what how does what is that experience for that tenant how do they apply and understanding that whole leasing side of things because that means that then you're going to attract the very best tenant which will make everyone's life better 
That makes sense. Yeah. So understanding their processes, um, you know, for you as a landlord, but also what what is the experience that the tenant will be receiving? Because I can assume that there's some property managers that are very hard to deal with, even as a tenant, and that's not going to be perfect for you when you've got um, a property that's being managed by a manager that's it's very hard to deal with from the tenant's perspective. Yeah. And how do you put that property in front of the best quality tenants? Mm, yeah. yeah. And I guess it also comes down to screening those tenants and um, understanding that process of, of, you know, how thorough is that screening process? Yeah, exactly. And I think probably the second one is around the trades. Maintenance is a massive part of any investment journey. So making sure that the agency that you use has relationships with really good tradespeople is really important, but also understands quotes, understands when to push back on tenants, when it's actually a viable issue. Um, I know that there are agencies out there that will take a clip off off um, trades and and do things like that. I personally, my personal thought process is the agency should get a cheaper price than if the owner went direct to that tradie. Because as an agency, we're doing so much volume, we should be able to say to our plum electrician, hey, we'll give you X amount of jobs, but in return, we want a 10% discount. Um, I know a lot of other agencies, the the plumbers don't typically like working with real estate agents, so they add a 10% increase for dealing with the drama of it. So I think understanding for to maximise your yield, understanding the trade side of things and making sure that you're getting quality work and quality pricing is really important. Yeah, I think that's really important from a landlord is, like you've touched on, a happy tenant, low-maintenance property, less hassles, a good property manager, it just makes life really, really easy. Um, and it makes that investment um, less of a headache, which is definitely what you want. You don't want headaches when it comes to investing in property either. Yep. And touching on that, I think the proactivity of a property manager in identifying preventative maintenance during inspection um, reports, and I know that that's something that you're very um, proactive on, Jonathan, with your agency, because ultimately getting ahead of big maintenance items and preventative maintenance can save you money down the track. So identifying those things before they become problems is, is a huge you know, benefit to a landlord as well. Yeah, I always say set your property up for success. Absolutely. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Any, any other questions I should ask? Um, who are you? Yeah, maybe who are you dealing with in the agency and understand, yeah. obviously, um, every agency, if you're speaking to the BDM who's signing you up, they're not the one managing it. Yep. Which is which is fine, but maybe ask for it to have a conversation with the person who's actually going to be your point of contact, and um and just and just understand um how much that you you'll get a really good feel of if they actually care about property management. But property management could be an arm to the business or the main focus. So I personally think you should be with an agency that actually focus on property management because it's such a pivotal part of an investor's journey. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that point of contact is important because that's the person you'll deal with. So you need to be able to deal with them well um, and run that business um, yep. together um, and get on really well together. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit, you've, you've rebranded um, yeah. away from Bell Estate and, and you've rebranded the house mark. Yeah. Yeah. So the main reason was obviously there is the other bell with the E on the end. So we used to get lots of calls saying, oh, are you are you related to the other bell? People used to think I was the bell because it's my last name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to really put ourselves as a specialist property management group. Um, and um, if you see the caption, Housemark properly managed, the only difference between the properly and property is the L and the T. Um, so no, it's, it's been really exciting and really enjoying working under the new brand and had some really positive feedback from owners, which is awesome. 
So if people are confused, how do they get in contact? Because they're not going to contact Bell anymore. They'll contact Housemark. Is there is there something you can change to? Yeah, it's a lot easier now. You just Google Housemark and you'll see it everywhere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, on Facebook, Instagram, our website, um, lots of different ways to get in contact and our team would love to, to support any landlords where we can. Perfect. Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom once again and helping our podcast audience understand what's actually going on in the rental market across Brisbane. We really appreciate you um, coming on the podcast and sharing your time. Yeah, thank you for your time, Melinda and Scott. Thanks, Jonathan. Look, um, it's been great great catching up again um, under a new name. So we'll continue that in the future and keep up with people up to date. Um, enjoy the normal part of the market, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> nice to have that bit of space and not be so hectic. I, I totally agree. So, look, it's been great, great catching up again. As usual, I will let Melinda wrap it up for this episode and we'll be in contact and um, talk again soon. Thanks very much. Bye for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again on the Brisbane Property Podcast. As always, if you enjoy our content, content please share this episode with friends and family, especially anyone that um, needs a new property manager in Brisbane or any um, new property investors that are looking to buy in Brisbane. Um, reach out to Jonathan and his team at Housemark to see how they might be able to assist you. Um, until next week, we I hope you have a fabulous week. We'll speak to you again then. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.